announcements. Let me uh, jump into prayers. This is something we've been doing since the start of November, going through different prayers of the Bible as part of our sermon series. And we really aren't changing during the Christmas season, though we are intentionally trying to find prayers kind of that would dovetail nicely with this, this Advent time, this Christmas season. And today that's, that's true. Uh, we're going to be looking at Mary's story and some of what Mary encountered early in the pages of Luke's gospel. And so if you're new to the Bible, there's four different gospel writers, four different accounts of the life uh, and death and, and resurrection of Jesus. Luke is one of those authors. And uh, Mary is one of the people that Luke kind of gets, gets her story and includes it in our, in our Bible and really compelling stuff. Before getting to actually the prayer or the song of Mary known as the Magnificat, I'm gonna back up and do four slides that preceded kind of our passage for this morning, our prayer or song of, of Mary, just so that we're all aware of kind of what she's been encountering before she kind of sings those words. So let me, let me begin in verse 26 of Luke chapter one as we hear more about Mary and, and her story. <coughs> Excuse me. In the sixth month, of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Elizabeth being a relative of Mary, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. So we have this, dual story, not just Mary in her pregnancy, but also Elizabeth in her pregnancy are a part of this story. And yet God coming to Mary in Nazareth, a town in Galilee. And we're going to find out later, and, and this is true kind of throughout uh, the scriptural testimony, that this is, this is not a highly prestigious town. This, this would be some sort of rural, northern Minnesota, rural Wisconsin, rural Iowa town, not much is coming from those places, right? And so that would be true of Mary, that she was kind of born in this no-name rural town. She's pledged to be married to Joseph, but they're not married. But it's not quite like our engagement. A little bit different, a little bit more seriousness and, and kind of uh, fanfare than, than what we might have with engagement. And so there was a, a, actually you would have to go through means of getting a divorce in that, in that scenario. But we see some of this language of a descendant of David here, and we're gonna see other language that ties Mary's story into the broader story of the Bible, right? The Old Testament introduces some of these characters, David, Abraham, and others, and we see in this story, in Mary's story, connections to that broader storyline. So we shouldn't see this as an altogether new story or just the start, but rather the continuation or even culmination of a story that began hundreds, even thousands of years prior. This angel shows up, says, greetings, you're highly favored. Why is that? We're gonna see that in a moment, why that is. Um, but she's troubled. Story continues. The angel said to her, do not be afraid. Why? Because angelic beings showing up is a scary thing, right? But they always say, don't be afraid. I'm normal. I'm an angel. I'm a created being that glows in the middle of the night, you know? Uh, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. He will be great. And he will be called the son of the most high. 
The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. And so what we see here is the the ongoing kind of conversation back and forth. The angel explains how it's possible that an unwed virgin is gonna become pregnant. This, this idea that you will conceive, give birth to a son, right? The, the, this child is not like any other child. We'll, we'll have significance. And we're gonna to continue to see that in the rest of the passage. But it will be called son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. Again, tying into the storyline and also reigning over Jacob's descendants forever. If you don't know the name Jacob, going way back, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And so just this idea of Mary, you're part of this ongoing drama and God is excited to do something very special uh, through you. So she says, how, how is that possible? I'm only a virgin. How can I be, uh, ha- give birth to a son? You know, he continues. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the most high will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And then there's this other additional confirmation of even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who was said to be made unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. And so we get this angel saying, this is what's gonna happen, but I'm gonna give you an additional confirmation. If you are here last week, uh, Steve preached on Hannah's song. And so similarly, uh, a story of infertility and barrenness results in life. And, and the same was true in Elizabeth, that she who had wanted a child, longed and yearned for a child, wasn't able to conceive. And yet, as part of this dual story, there's not just one mom, but two moms in, in, this, um, in this story. It continues. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. The one that was in her womb leaped. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, blessed are you among women and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the, what the Lord would fulfill, that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. So Mary has this angelic being, comes delivers new, this is what's gonna happen. You're gonna conceive of the Holy Spirit. Uh, the, the most high will overshadow you, but then gets this confirmation via her relative. It's not just the confirmation of the child leaping in the womb, but then these declarations. Blessed, you're blessed as you trust in the Lord to do what God has promise. So all of that is kind of precursor to Mary's song. Mary, as we see in other passages, she's thinking on these things, treasuring these things, pondering these things, trying to make sense of these things. As you imagine, right? Like, who am I? I live in the middle of nowhere. Nothing of great consequence happens there. And yet angelic beings are showing up, making declarations. My formerly barren relative is pregnant and making all these declarations about the child that will come from me. And so amazing, amazing setup. So that brings us to Luke 1, verses 46 to 55, which is Mary's song, or what's maybe more popularly uh, known as the Magnificat, which is just the the first word of the song kind of in Latin. And um, 
our, in our English language, it's three words, my soul glorifies. But if you can imagine kind of all that bound up as one word, uh, magnificat is kind of that word. So let me, let me read for us. In, in response to all that is transpiring, Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has been mindful of, his humble, of the humble estate of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. So this is the first part of her song and it's very individually focused on, on her. The next part, the second half of this is gonna expand out and we're gonna deal with nations and rulers and, and huge groups of people, the world, right? And, and it starts though here where she says, my soul glorifies the Lord, or my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. In this, she's stating that, you know, it's often true in scripture that there's these parallel statements. It's not that she's saying something different, but she is trying to get at everything within me. The deepest parts of me glorify God. My soul, my spirit glorifies, rejoices. From the depths, I worship God. It's interesting that she worships this child within her, right? It, it, it's a unique thing. I think all parents have that like, my child is God's gift to the world. But it's like, it's true for her, like in, in a very unique and special way, right? And she not only declares that this is her child, but terms this child as her Lord, as her Savior, like if there are anybody on planet earth that would get kind of like a special exemption of needing a, a Lord or a savior, it might be her. Like I brought this kid, God's gift to the world through me, right? But even she says, no, 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 I've been waiting. Just like my people for years and years and years have been waiting. That's true of me. I'm waiting, I'm anticipating. I need a victor, I need a rescuer, I need a savior. And so whatever we might conceive in our understandings of Mary, Mary calls Jesus Lord, calls Jesus Savior. She needs a Lord and a Savior just like you and just like me. And then God, or, or Mary goes on to say, God has been mindful. God has thought of her. God has considered her in her humble state. God has considered the humble state of her, of her as a servant. So what, is, what does that mean? What do we know about Mary? I think it's important to pause here and just like her soul is glorifying the Lord. Her soul is rejoicing in this child, this savior, this Lord. And she says, the reason that I'm rejoicing is, she, is God has considered me, the humble state of his servant. What do we know about Mary? Well, one thing we know from at least this artistic uh, rendering is that she looks somewhat like Nick Cage. I, didn't, I don't know if you guys knew this, but Mother Mary has some resemblance. Um, one of the things we know about Mary is that her birds and bees conversation with her other children will take on two different forms. Like how, how is it? Where do babies come from? Like, she's like, well, I got two answers for you. I got, I got a couple possibilities. How do you take joy in your child who happens to be, you know, the son of God? Uh, you know, our son is an honor student. Our son's a medical student. Our son is God. <laughs> like, 
I hope they didn't put bumper stickers on the back of their animals. That's awkward. But we do that with our vans, right? Our minivans. My child, honor student. All right, in all seriousness, what do we know about Mary? Well, Mary is a young, unwed virgin who is pregnant. Now, if you've been around church, that might not startle you. But we need to get ourselves into her shoes, into her sandals, right? And to actually realize what this would mean. She is saying to Joseph, and thankfully the the angel does some things with Joseph, but right, they're gonna share with their community. She's a virgin, uh uh-huh, but pregnant. Okay? Yeah, the Holy Spirit overshadowed her and she conceived. Like, what, what would you say to that, right? We'd, we'd call her a liar, maybe a lunatic, loose, or any other number of names. That's what we would think about a young, unwed virgin that is now claiming pregnancy. And I just imagine rumors and then, in hushed tones, they see them coming. They see her coming, right? And they talk about her. And those rumors and those lies, right? Because they don't know the truth. She's told them, but I'm guessing that there are many people who don't trust, don't believe her. And so what that would have meant for Mary and for Joseph socially or in regard to synagogue worship, her claiming these things. Angel visited me. Power of the... Most high overshadowed me, and now I'm pregnant. We also know that that she and Joseph are poor. Not the poorest of the poor, but poor. We know when they dedicate Jesus at the temple that there's different gifts that you are obligated to give based on where you're at, kind of economically. And, And what many people do is they would take an animal from their flock and sacrifice that. But it's noted that that's not what Joseph and Mary do. They don't have means to do that. And so they will give two turtle doves as part of the sacrifice when they dedicate Jesus, which would indicate lesser income, that they're a poorer family. Now there's even another option for the poorest of the poor of of dedicating some spices. And so they would be in this place of not, not great economic means. Additionally, there's a low social status associated with Nazareth. Right? When the disciples hear that Jesus comes from Nazareth, they say, can anything good come from there? That's how that town was viewed in that, in that time and place. So you have Mary. What do we know about her? Young, unwed virgin, claiming pregnancy by God, also poor, low social status. So in so many ways, we would see her as just kind of a, a socially disadvantaged outcast, low rung uh, on, on society's ladder. That's how we conceive her. How, do, how does she end this section of her song? She says, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Society, my peers, my social circles, those at synagogue, they're going to say, look out for her. She's a liar. She might be crazy. 
She's certainly loose. And she says, no, no, no. I'm blessed. What God has declared and what God has done. I don't wear those other labels. I am blessed. The mighty one has done great things for me. In this, I think we need to to pause long enough to consider what it would have been like. It's so easy to go, oh, she's the Virgin Mary. She's celebrated for generations and and what what she's gonna mean to the church and all that stuff. But in that moment, she's gotta cling in faith to God in his fulfillment of these promises through her all the while. She being looked down upon by peers, looked down upon, cast aside, seen as sinful or worse. And yet she says, no, 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 I'm blessed. It occurs to me that we sing the song, Oh, Holy Night, and it, and it, it ends, I think, in a, in a very consistent way with this passage. We, say, we sing sweet hymns of joy and grateful chorus raise we. Let all within us praise this holy name. Sounds a lot like Mary saying, everything within me, my soul, my spirit, glorifies and rejoices in the Lord. And I think we too, sweet hymns of joy and grateful chorus raise we, let all within us praise his holy name. We'll get the chance to do that here in a bit. Let me go to the second part of our passage this morning. So she, she almost like can't keep this to herself. Like the, the consequential realities, the, the earth shattering. I mean, just the hinge point of history is happening within her and she can't help but see the, the corporate cosmic ramifications of this. She continues with her song by saying this, his mercy, God's mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds. Formerly she was talking about herself, right? He's done mighty things. But she, here she says, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So seeing that last verse, uh, last couple of verses there, we see the storyline, right? We see even here, God made promises way in the Old Testament, long time ago, and remains faithful to fulfill those promises. Not on account of their goodness, not on account of their purity, not on account of their moral uprightness, but because he promised, because he said so, God says, I will be faithful. I will fulfill my promises to you. And what is that? Well, it's interesting because this is where we get into these, these pairs, these terms. Steve mentioned it last week, but I think it bears worth repeating. The upside down nature of the kingdom of God. Remember Mary, socially disadvantaged, poor, from a no-name town, unwed young virgin, claiming to carry God's son, socially disadvantaged in so many ways. And yet, that is the person that God reveals himself to and brings forth the Messiah, the Savior, the anointed one, right? Look what's described here. Similarly, there's these pairs that that for some reason within God's divine economy, this upside down reality, he says, I'm gonna do mighty deeds, but I'm gonna scatter those who are proud. Those who have a high degree of confidence, I'm gonna end up scattering in their inmost thoughts. 
those who are rulers and have authority and power, I'm gonna bring them down. And those who are of humble mind and humble heart, I'm actually gonna lift them up. So rulers are gonna be brought down. Proud are gonna be scattered. But those of humble heart, I'm actually gonna lift them up. He says, those who are hungry, I will fill with good things. But those who are rich will go away empty. Do you hear the, the upside down nature? Those who are socially disadvantaged, those who recognize I'm needy, I'm broken, I'm poor, I'm hungry, I'm helpless. God says, I am attuned to their cries. I hear them and I see them and I love them. And in time, I will lift them up. But those who have power and authority, those who trust in their riches, those who sense no need of me will be brought low. Jesus himself says, I came not for the healthy, not for those who feel no need. For, I came for the sick and the impoverished, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I will fill them. And so we see here, not just it happening at an individual level with Mary, but God zooming out through Mary's words and declaring these things. I think it's important for us to consider. Let me just summarize here what we've, what we've seen here. What do we know about God's ways? That mercy is given those, to those who revere God. Those who recognize that there is an other, that this world didn't come by chance, but we actually have need for a God to bring order to all of the chaos and all of the brokenness pain that we need someone to undo that because we can't. That as part of understanding God's way, there's our proud and rulers and rich they're gonna be upended in surprising ways. And that just as surprisingly, those who are hungry and humble will have their needs met. Upside down nature of the kingdom of God. And so comparing and contrast these, Mary, despite worldly disadvantage, is blessed. She calls herself blessed. There's nothing socially, friends, that says you're so blessed to be looked down upon to be considered a liar or a lunatic. There's nothing socially that is to her gain. And yet she says, oh, what God has done in my life, I'm so blessed. And I think scripturally speaking, not just to the group that Mary's describing here, but to us, do, do we cling to social advantage? Do we cling in pride to our understanding of the world and our education and our titles and our money? Because guess what? The rich in this passage is us. Looking around the globe, we're very well off. We're very capable. There's many people deconstructing. Why? Because they don't feel a need for God. There's gotta be other paradigms, other structures, other realities that don't include him. We're quite accomplished. We're quite proud. We're quite capable. We don't really, I don't know, Maybe need God around the holidays, but other than that, just we're okay. And this passage says, no, no, no. As you cling to Christ, increasingly in our society, you'll be socially disadvantaged. You'll be ostracized. You'll be kept at bay. Your words, your voice, your thoughts will not be accepted in the public square. 
Maybe in a previous generation, they, there was a certain way by Christians being a chaplain to society, but no more. And so we have to embrace Mary's reality as our own. God, that ultimately I don't need social adulation. I'm okay because of you. I'm okay when coworkers look down upon me and call me names. Why? I'm blessed because of you. No matter what social disadvantages come with, with this faith, that ultimately I can rise up and say, I'm so blessed. I'm so well cared for. How do you conceive of yourself? Are you hungry and thirsty for righteousness? I wonder if you might experience what was written in another section of O Holy Night. The stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. Does that hit you? Does that resonate, that line? Long lay the world in sin and error pining, which is to say, there's something in this world that ain't, ain't quite right. Something broken. My relationships, my work situation, my schooling, the holidays, finances, right? I'm pining, I'm longing, I'm yearning for something that in the midst of sin and error and darkness and death, I'm not experiencing. And then he appeared. Who appeared? Christ appeared and the soul felt its worth. Something that had been longed for, looked forward to for years, hundreds, thousands of years, Jesus appears. And finally, the soul says, yes, yes. A thrill of hope, the weary soul, the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. The soul feeling its worth that we've been in sin and error, pining, longing, yearning for a day to break in which all of this, all of this starts to make sense. And we say, Christ, you will undo all of the sin. You will undo all of the error, all of the brokenness, all the pain, all of the death. And therefore, no matter what might happen socially or culturally, no matter what I might be called in my office or in my family, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I'm okay because of Christ. So I ask you, how do you think of yourself? Do you think of yourself as needy, broken? Do you see yourself as not needing social advantage, but you're okay? You're okay in Jesus. Is that how you conceive of yourself? Is that how you conceive? Is there a deep longing in you amidst sin and error pining for this world and all of its brokenness to be made whole? Friends, that's what we sing about. That's what we get to experience now with the table. It's what we get to get prayed for. And even as part of our, our giving, we get the chance to celebrate and maybe sing out, right? Sweet hymns of joy and grateful chorus raise we. Let all within us praise his holy name. I don't know what you're coming from. I don't know where you're headed to. I don't know what your holidays are gonna entail. But it is my hope. It's my prayer for Hope Community Church. That, that this, let all within us praise his holy name. It's, it's a way of, of singing out and living out what, what Mary's talking about. My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices from our depths, friends. We get the opportunity this season to let all within us praise his holy name. Is that your heart? Is that your pulse? What's gonna happen now in the, the next few minutes here is the table will be open. 
and the cracker represents Jesus' body broken for you and the cup, his blood shed for you. You don't have to be a member of our church or any church. But if you have said yes to Christ, you can come take your first communion. We have a gluten-free option in the back. Uh, I and others will be down front excited to pray with you. Some of you, you have a lot of need, but you don't have the words to say it. That's why we have people available. I love praying for people. I love bringing your needs, even if it's just a general blessing, to God and saying, Lord, hear us and answer. Long we live in sin and error, pining, longing that some of these things would become made whole. I'd love to pray that for you. We're gonna worship a couple more songs like we did previously. And if you wanna give, there's boxes in the back or you can go to hopecc.com slash give. Just a way of saying, God, ultimately, whatever is to my social advantage, I lay down, including my money, that ultimately what I need most in this world is you. And what a blessing it is to actually have those words where all of a sudden a new day has come, a new day, thrill of hope, a weary world and a weary soul rejoice. I hope that's your heart this morning and as we go through this season. Let me pray for us. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. A weary soul rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Jesus, in your coming, in your living and in your dying, you bring a new day, a new hope. God, in this world, there is trouble. There is pain. In this room, there is struggle, sin, error, pining, yearning, longing to be done to be done with the challenges, done with the sin, done with the struggles of life. And so God, I pray for our community amidst this season that once again, we'd prepare room in our hearts for you. That we would recognize that ultimately the things outside of us are not foremost, but rather what you've done in this world to come live within us. That's foremost. So help us, Lord. Help us this season to prepare room in our hearts for you, for your good news. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.